G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This is an important message as we begin this series called Welcome Home. Some of us fall into the category of self-worship. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, Pastor Jeff speaks about hero worship and the dangers of not crediting God with our success. He references the famous story of David and Goliath in his message, More Than Fine. There's a connection with the idea of being home and the idea of finding that significance, finding that life that is above average, not mediocre, but extraordinary. This is Today with Jeff Vines. There is no doubt in my mind that you want more than an average, mundane, mediocre life. As a matter of fact, because that's the kind of life you want, most of us do things that we'd never ordinarily do seeking for something more than just average. Uh, we are willing to do things, again, that we never even crossed our mind five, ten years before as we get older because we're so desperate, every single one of us, to live a life that is not just mediocre, not just average, not just mundane. And that kind of life is only found one way in one place. And uh, there's a connection between that idea and the struggle that we have uh, with an old uh, passage in the, New, in the Old Testament and a New Testament passage. And those passages are this, and I want you to turn to them. First Samuel chapter 17, First Samuel 17 and Acts chapter 2. This is an important message as we begin this series called Welcome Home because there's a connection with the idea of being home and the idea of finding that significance, finding that life that is above average, not merely mediocre, but extraordinary. And to do that, you're going to have to really go through a little system of thought with me. We're going to put some things in a funnel and then after we've done that, it's all going to come out and it's going to be a lot clearer to us. The first passage, remember 1 Samuel 17 and the other is Acts chapter 2. The first passage is arguably the account of uh, the most popular story in the Old Testament. It's the story of David and Goliath. I don't have time to summarize that, although we do have a photo we found of Goliath online. As you know, as you know Goliath is a big dude with a large appetite uh, for Hebrew blood. Now, when Goliath comes out and David, you know the story, little shepherd boy David comes out, uh, to greet him, Goliath is ticked off. And he's ticked off because he thinks, why are you sending this little shepherd boy? And he says this to David. What, what, am I a dog? This is First Samuel 17, verse 43. Am I a dog that you come out after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Proving once again that trash talk did not start on the basketball courts of Harlem but in the valley of Megiddo where the Old Testament battles were fought. But David, he hears that, and he's got a little trash talk of his own. He responds by saying this, This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, and I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. Now, we know the story. David has the five smooth stones. He only needs one, 
And fires the first one right through Goliath's head. So someone has said that the last thing that went through Goliath's mind before he died was a rock. And the rock goes through his mind, his head, whatever. He dies. But here's what I want to look at. This is so important. Because I want to look at the aftermath of a giant killing. Because the things that happen after this represent your life and mine. And what you're going to notice, David has the ebb and flow of life is constantly moving upward in upward mobility as long as he's attached to this agent we're going to talk about. As long as this characteristic is in his life, it's upward mobility, above mediocrity. It's extraordinary, away from the mundane. But when he's separated from this agent, this thing we're going to talk about, then the ebb and flow of his life seems to descend further and further down in depression and anxiety and fear and a lack of significance. Do I matter into an average mundane life? So I want to look at those. Stay with me because if you'll stay with me to the end, then it all comes out. Here's the first thing. There were three separate responses to David after he slayed Goliath and they had a profound impact on David's life. The first was from the crowd and the crowd entered into what we call hero worship. On the count of three, everybody say it together, all right? One, two, three, hero worship. The women, the Bible says, came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, and it's a very special song. The words went like this. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, if you're Saul and you're the present king and you're listening to this, here's what you hear. You hear, we like you, King Saul, but we like David more. David has now become a hero. He's going to have songs and poetry written about him. Women are going to talk about his courage. Men are going to envy his military achievements. David is a hero. Now, stay with me. We in America, we love heroes, don't we? I've seen what you do when I show you a hero. Even some of you grown men start crying. You try to wipe it out of your eye and say, I've got something in my eye. I know what you're doing. Like the time that I showed you that 10-year-old girl on America's Got Talent, and she sang with an opera voice as if she was 35 or 40. I looked out and saw some of you guys. You women are crying, so are you guys. As a matter of fact, when I showed you the uh, young man who had autism, who played on his high school basketball team, got no playing time until the last game of the last year, his senior year, and he hit seven three-pointers in a row. When the lights came on, I thought, dudes, you guys were like, you're weeping. It's okay, though. It's okay. Why do we do it, though? Now, the Olympics are right around the corner, and you know we're going to see more Gabby Douglases, and they're going to make us cry. Why? It's called the Toy Story Syndrome. Everybody is looking for meaning, to know that they matter. Remember the little aliens? Pick me. The claw came down. Pick me. Pick me. You have been chosen. You remember that? It's us. All of us, we admire the hero from a distance. We look at them because it reminds us there's hope for us that maybe if they achieved this greatness, so too can we. So we celebrate it. But at the same time we celebrate it, it reminds us of our mundane, average, inconsequential life. So we like heroes as long as they're at a distance. If a hero's around our hometown or in our office, that's another story. We want to kill them. And there's a reason. Now, here's the irony. These heroes that we admire, uh, even though we put a halo around their lives and success, they still don't have the thing that we're looking for. We just think they do. They still struggle with mundaneness and average and mediocre. And you're only as good as your last performance. Where David is concerned, the crowd misses the whole point of the David and Goliath story. Who was the real hero? Who, who slayed Goliath? 
It was God. Hey, that's okay. You can say his name out loud. He's pretty happy when you do that. One, two, three, God. He's the hero. He's the one that got in the stone. He's the hero origin. And it was to show the people. And God is constantly trying to do this. And the same thing in your life. That salvation ultimately comes from the Lord. Every good thing that you have, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, if God would have defeated the Philistine army in a conventional way, then you might have could have understood how the Israelites misinterpreted or misunderstood. But it's a little shepherd boy with no armor and one little rock and a slingshot defeats Goliath, this huge guy who's high tech. And God knew the only logical response would be that God has accomplished something truly glorious. But if you read the narrative... The crowd, they don't become possessed with God. They don't glorify God and they don't become enamored with God. Instead, they glorify, they become possessed with and enamored with who? David. And they enter into hero worship. Now imagine if you're God and you're listening to this song when the parade comes down through Israel and they're singing, David has slain his tens of thousands. If you're God, you think, what am I, chop liver? No, I am the one. I mean, come on, really? Now, the reason I mention this first is everybody in the room, I'm sorry, but humanity really is this simple, is that all of us fit into one of two categories when it comes to this kind of hero worship thing. Some of you have been insecure all your life. I mean, there's one word that describes you best, insecure. You're those little aliens, pick me, pick me, the claw, pick me, I want to matter. A lot of us are in this category. We're willing to do whatever it takes to be different, to be more than mediocre. I mean, we attend seminars about how to live life better. If you're a salesperson, you're living, you're trying to attend seminars how to make more money because you've attached, not that making money's wrong, but you've attached your significance and that you matter by the car you drive, by the house you live in, by, I don't know, the number of children, by the amount of money. It's what we do. It's the vortex of the world sucking you in at every moment of every day. And you got to fight against it. It's a hard battle. And as a result, we fall for the lie. And a lot of us feel so insecure. We feel that we don't matter. We're mundane. We're mediocre. And what you don't realize is no matter how far you go in life, I don't care how much money you make, how successful you are in your company, how many rungs you climb on the corporate ladder, you're still going to feel like everybody else. It's just part of humanity. By the way, how do you know someone's really insecure? The more they talk about themselves, right? You know. You just know. This is Today with Jeff Vines. And the message is more than fine. We're hearing about the aftermath of David killing Goliath. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. But some of us fall into the category of self-worship. And this is where, for some of you, things have gone pretty well in your life. Uh, They just have. Uh, You're gifted. God gifted you. God gifted us all. But somehow you were able to be at the right place at the right time, use your gifts. Uh, You may have made a lot of money. Things have fallen into place. And one day you look around how good your life is and you say to yourself, you may never say it out loud, but down and deep inside you're thinking, man, I I think I'm pretty awesome. Look at my life. It's obvious that I'm wonderful. I'm obviously doing the right things because God is blessing me. You connect your goodness and your talent and your ability with God's willingness to bless you. In your mind, you never say it out loud, but you've done so well because God has blessed you, but he's blessed you because you're special. Now, We are so desperate, we are so desperate to matter that seldom do we give God praise for prosperity. Say it again. We are so desperate to matter that seldom do we give God praise for prosperity. And the reason is that if we do that, we've got to give God some of the glory. And we don't mind to do that, but the more glory we give to God, the less glory we get to ourselves. Now, this is something you don't think about. 
It's something you may not even say. And some of you may be offended that I would suggest that you don't give God all the glory. You may mouth the words, but down deep inside, you're so hungry to matter that you want to get a little bit of it yourself. And you may say, well, you know, God made this happen. And you may say it humbly, but down deep inside, you're careful because you want to matter. You want to be significant. You want to be more than mundane, more than average. You want more than okay. You want more than fine. And the reality is hero worship is just as dangerous to the worshipee as it is the worshiper. Because there's the temptation towards self-glorification and you're never going to find what you're looking for there. Now there's a second response uh, to the aftermath of a giant killing. And it's Saul and he is a hero hater. So you've got a hero worshiper on the count of three, hero hater. One, two, three, hero hater. Look what happens in verse eight, first Samuel chapter 18. Saul was very angry. This refrain, in other words, this chorus in this song, galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. All right, so Saul hates David. Why? Why does Saul hate David? Because David makes him look bad, right? He shows King Saul what an ordained, called of God, chosen by God king should really look like. Bravery, courage, and ultimately trust in the Lord's calling and provision. Before Saul became king, how was he described? Even after he became king, Saul was described as what? Head and shoulders above the rest. It should have been Saul out defeating Goliath. He should have been the one leading the armies to defeat the Philistines. He cowered away in his tent while a little shepherd boy comes forth. And it's a little shepherd boy that defeats Goliath. So what does that mean? Now it means every time Saul sees David, David reminds him of his moral failure. And so when somebody reminds us of our failures, what do we tend to do with them? Get rid of them any way we can. See, that's, that's the irony. We worship heroes from a distance. Wow, that gives me hope that I can go above the mediocrity, mundane, live above average life into the extraordinary. But when the hero's in our office cubicle, then we want to kill him. Because we got to look at him every day. And he reminds us of our failures. And so... It's a, it's a strange dichotomy. And with David, both have profound impact on his life because there will be times in David's life in the future when he falls for the hero worship and he'll do things he never thought, we never thought he would be capable of doing. Saul wants to kill David, kill the warrior. He's so insane with jealousy and hatred that there's only one thing he can do and he's gonna kill David. Now he makes three attempts. Remember the narrative? What does he do the first attempt? David's in the palace, and <laughs> when David has his head turned, Saul throws a spear, narrowly missing David's head. I mean, where, how do you recover from that? I mean, the spear's in the wall. You turn around. What does Saul say? Uh, it slipped. <laughs> so now David knows Saul is a hero hater. And then when that doesn't work, uh, King Saul tries to kill David by offering two of his daughters in marriage. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> now, how does... How, oh, when I was in Australia, I heard about uh, where Satan, the devil himself, came into a church one day and said, I am Beelzebub, the prince of darkness, the prince of demons, you will fear. And everybody in the church ran out. They were terrified, except for one old guy on the front row. And Satan went up to the guy and said, hey, I, I am Beelzebub. I am Satan, the prince of darkness, prince of demons. Don't you fear me? Of course, the old man said, why should I fear you? I've been married to your sister for 40 years. <laughs> I, I just thought that was humorous. I thought that was you. So I can understand from one point, that's how you're going to kill the guy. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. But the motivation, listen, the motivation behind Saul was this. Saul was hoping to make the dowry 
for these two daughters of his so dangerous that David would die in the process. You know what a dowry is? It's what you pay for the daughter. And uh, there's no way David could say no uh, uh, thanks, but no thanks. I've seen your daughters. You can't do that. That's incredibly uncouth. And so uh, he makes the dowry very dangerous. My, my father-in-law, when I married Robin, uh, you know, they lived in Africa and my father-in-law came to me with a straight face when I was 22 years old and I'd asked for Robin's hand. And he actually said to me, he said, now in Africa, I was offered 15 heads of cattle and a farm for Robin. What are you offering? And he kept his face very straight. So, I'm, so I think I come up, I came up with something like a long life of love and happiness. And, uh, he didn't laugh. I'm just saying, but the whole thing backfired. He's still not laughing. The whole thing backfired. Because David not only uh, defeated the armies, but he did it so decisively that his popularity grew. And now Saul is seething. So he comes to the one foolproof way he knows he can get rid of David. And he puts a contract out on David's life. He puts a hit on David's life. David finds out about it. And it's interesting. David goes from being worshipped as a hero to being hated as a hero And even though it hadn't been that long ago until he had slain Goliath and said, I come in the name of the Lord God, Yahweh, you know, of the the armies of Israel. uh, Now, David goes into depression. He starts to believe that his life is worth very little. He's going to die. And he doesn't matter anymore. Now, here's where the sermon turns. Stay with me. Something beautiful happens here. Man, I don't, I wish I had more time. I have just a few minutes, but... Man, this is it. And this is not just theory to me. This is experience now. Something beautiful happens in his life. Something that is almost unbelievable. Something that you know had to come from heaven. Because in the midst of all this turmoil and hero worship and hero hating and Saul trying to kill him, God sends him a very special gift. It's the gift of a friend. And his name is Jonathan. David and Jonathan will become so close bound and knit together. They should have been. What makes it almost unbelievable is these are the two guys in the narrative that should have become arch enemies, bitter enemies. Why? Because Jonathan is the son of King Saul, who's trying to kill David, which means that Jonathan is the one in line to get the throne and to be given the sword of authority and the robe of royalty. Instead, they become so close. I want you to, I don't want to pass this too quickly. Had it not been for David, look, Jonathan was a warrior in his own right. In fact, there's a passage of scripture that tells us on one occasion that Jonathan defeated an entire outpost of warriors with just himself and his armor bearer. And he utterly defeated them, the Bible says. So had it not been for David, Jonathan would probably have received all the honor, popularity, and prestige he could have ever wanted. If there's ever a time where anybody had a reason to be jealous and envious and full of hatred, it would be Jonathan for David. But thank God there's a third and final response to heroes. It's not hero worship. It's not hero hatred. It's hero origin. Jonathan would have been there when he saw David march out. Now stay with me. I'm putting everything into a funnel. It'll come out. Jonathan saw David go out and defeat Goliath and then go back into King Saul's tent, Jonathan's father. And David looked at King Saul and said, I I didn't need your armor. It wasn't about me and my power. It was about God. And Jonathan saw that. And Jonathan was impressed. And then for him to say, I'm here at the service of God. I love him and will serve him with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I will serve you, O great king. Jonathan saw that. And he was compelled and drawn in 
to David. So much so that Jonathan is the only other person in the narrative that knows David doesn't need to be worshipped. Honored, yes, as a servant of God, but ultimately the battle belonged to God. And so now, because David knows that, he's going to dedicate his life to David. He says in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 17, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. <laughs> Do you see what Jonathan is doing? He comes to David and he says, I know who you are. I'm not going to be the one that's king you are. And David, you deserve to be king. I've seen the kind of man you are. And I'm second to you and I'm going to end up serving you. And my father can't handle that, but I can. Now that would be like two Republican candidates in this election. And even though one's leading three to one in the polls, comes to the other guy and says, you know what? You're better than me. Your character is greater. You're more brave. You're wiser. You show more integrity. And it's obvious to me that you would run this country. You would make a better president of the United States than I would. So I'm going to withdraw my candidacy. Now, therefore, we know it wouldn't be Donald Trump saying those things. But, <laughs> but we would be astounded because Jonathan saw the God behind David's successes. This is so important, folks, because as long as Jonathan is around David, David lives the big life, extraordinary life. He knows who he is, who he's called to be. And no matter what the circumstances are around him, man, he is good. He's enjoying life. When Jonathan dies, and he does, when he dies fighting a battle alongside his father, David's life begins to subtly change. And he removes himself from this kind of encouragement and accountability and he ends up taking the wife of another man killing her husband and lying to the nation of israel and to himself as long as jonathan was around david's friendship with jonathan was the anchor of his soul it was a spiritual lifeline one author wrote this about this narrative he said the friendship of the king's son entered the warrior's soul in a way the king's hatred never could so that in chapter uh, in Second Samuel, in verse 4, Jonathan took off his robe, gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. He gave those to David. Be sure this is not a casual thing. Stay with me. This is like, um, well, this is Jonathan basically in David's presence, taking off the royal robe. I, I, I hereby say to you that I see in you God's anointed, you are the next king. He takes his sword, he gives it to David. This is the sword of authority that belongs to you. And he, he basically, by doing this act, a great Old Testament act, he's saying to David, David, I want you to know what I see in you. You're the king. You're the anointed one of God. And I want you, every time you look at this robe and every time you see this sword, to remember what I just told you and to act like you're the king, to live like you're the king. Jonathan's impact on David was so great. There was one time that David was in a cave and could have killed King Saul, but said to himself, how dare I touch the Lord's anointed. Jonathan held him accountable. And he remembered Jonathan for days, even after his death. As a matter of fact, just a couple of days before Jonathan died, he came to David in a place called Horish. And he encouraged, the Bible actually says, he strengthened his hand, David's hand with these words. He said, do not be afraid. 
For the hand of my father, Saul, shall never find you. You shall be king over all of Israel. And I just wonder how many times, stay with me, how many times when David was down and depressed and thinking it was mediocre and his life was mundane, he wasn't going anywhere, how many times did he go to the closet and put on that robe and remember what Jonathan had told him? How many times did he get the sword of authority and remember who God made him to be? This is Today with Jeff Vines. And that's all we have time for today. But I hope you can join us next time to hear the conclusion of More Than Fine. You can hear more messages from Pastor Jeff by heading to vision.org.au and then searching for Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.